Hey guys, welcome to the latest episode of the 4040 Vision podcast, the ultimate sports history pod where hindsight is 4040. Before we get started, let's pay some bills and hear from our presenting sponsors. Podcast brought to you by Sideline Sports. I'm your host, Osama Dahoud, joined by my buddy and creator of the 4040 Vision Pod, Khaled Abdullah. Khaled uh, writes pieces for just Blog Baby, and he's also our resident Raiders fan here at SLS. Khaled, how's it going, man? Good, man. I'm ready to dive in. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, pod, the concept for this podcast is we dive deep into the biggest what-ifs, turning points, and clutch moments in sports uh, history. So today we're going to talk about the formerly of Oakland, Las Vegas Raiders. We have our own top fives. Uh, there might be some overlap, but regardless, we'll examine these moments and, and dive deep into what uh, could have been as well. So, Khaled, we'll go ahead and start with you, man. Yeah, so this is, you know, hits close to home for me, of course. I'm a diehard Raiders fan, been a Raiders fan for more than 20 years now at this point. Um, I joked with uh, my wife before this pod that I could probably do this one by myself, <laughs> considering how uh, emotionally invested I'm in in the Raiders. Uh, you know, obviously, I have a, a number of other teams that I root for in different sports, but this is my my first love um, are the, the Raiders, and they've been driving me crazy for for 20 years now. So with that said, um, I will jump in with my number one on the list, and this is a I think it's pretty obvious. It's a, a dual threat one here is what if John Gruden beats the Patriots in the famous tuck rule game, or what if John Gruden beats the Baltimore Ravens in the 2000 AFC championship game? So the obvious one uh, that, you know, everyone talks about is the tuck rule, right? So, uh, you know, the tuck rule is, is the AFC divisional game in 2001, the famous call where the, the legend of Tom Brady begins. But the year before that, the Raiders were 12 and four and they hosted the 12 and four Ravens um, who finished second in the AFC central division back before uh, there was four divisions in each conference. And this was, you know, the legendary Ravens defense with Tony Saragusa, Peter Boulware, Ray Lewis, uh, and Tony Saragusa hits Rich Gannon late. He does one of those belly flop moves that's now illegal um, on a quarterback uh, on Rich Gannon early in the in the second quarter. Uh, basically rules Rich Gannon out pretty much for the rest of the game. He tries to come back after halftime, uh, but it doesn't work out. 
Bobby Hoying steps in for the Raiders and was totally ineffective. And then the Ravens win 16 to three with some controversial calls mixed in. They go on to beat the, the Giants in the Super Bowl and become one of the greatest defenses of all time. Okay. And then the next year, the Raiders come back. They go 10 and six. They win the AFC West and they go to New England, to Foxborough for the famous Tuck Rule game. Uh, so before I dive in, any thoughts on the, the Ravens AFC championship game? Did you watch that game? And any thoughts on the hit, perhaps? <laughs> No, the the Ravens uh, that season, I, I didn't really tune in too much. I didn't even it's one of the few Super Bowls I haven't watched. So I'm glad you had it on the list because I get to to learn a bit about it. But you, even though I didn't really watch the 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 Ravens Super Bowl, I absolutely remember the tuck rule game. That was a crazy game. I remember the snow and how uh, physical that game was. And the Raiders were so good that year. And the the Patriots were just such a fascinating team because of the emergence of of Tom Brady that year. So that game had a lot of uh, intensity going into it. It was such a hard fought game, but I'll, I'll let you kind of summarize what happened and we can get into the, the, uh, the controversial part of it. Yeah, of course. So just to, to set the scene. So the, this is of course, Tom Brady's first year. Uh, The the Raiders uh, go into Foxborough. They go up 13 to three, then 13, 10, uh, it gets a little closer. The Raiders get the ball back with a little under three minutes left in the game, trying to burn some clock. Uh, they get to third and one at midfield, and they they try to run it with Zach Crockett, who's one of the best short yardage backs in, in the history of the NFL, uh, and they fail. Maybe in this era of the NFL, the Raiders would have gone for it again on fourth and one to try to seal the deal. But it, it was probably just too risky. And John Gruden's known as a pretty conservative coach. So uh, the, the Raiders punt, there's a nice return. Tom Brady gets the ball back. He's driving a bit. And then he gets sacked on a blitz by Charles Woodson. And what looks like a clear fumble is recovered by Greg Beaker. So after a review, and at this point, you know, review is still pretty new in the NFL yeah. lexicon. Very um, new. Yeah. So the, the, the tuck rule basically says that a quarterback has to, uh, after a pump fake, must bring the ball back into his body or perform a, quote, football-related move. So it's similar to the catch rule where the guy has to do a football move, turn up field, whatever, whatever. So he had two hands on the ball, got hit and, and fumbled, but it was ruled an incomplete pass. So four plays later, the Patriots kick a field goal, goes into overtime. They win the toss, they drive and win on a legendary field goal from Adam Vinatieri. They then go on to win the Super Bowl. They beat the the you know the greatest show on turf Rams, and that begins the legend of Tom Brady. So, and, and in that Super Bowl, he has a great comeback. But of course, you know the comeback or a great drive to win the game. But the legend all begins in the snow in the Tuck Rule. You know, it's kind of like Jon Snow in Game of Thrones. He's <laughs> he's born amongst, you know, ice, uh, just like Jon Snow or reborn, I should say. And basically, you know, in the immediate future, I don't know how much it changes for the Raiders. Um, you know, they they go on to to play Pittsburgh the following week. They probably beat Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh, but I don't know if they had enough to hang with uh, the Rams in the Super Bowl. But I think the the bigger impact is if the Raiders win either of those games, 
They keep John Gruden. They don't trade him away to Tampa Bay. And of course the Buccaneers don't win their, their first Super Bowl. So any thoughts on that? <laughs> I'm sure you yeah, have some. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I mean, I know that this was a big one for Raiders fans and I watched the episode on this uh, on ESPN plus is the man in the arena, the Tom Brady little mini series that they're milking with all of his Super Bowl appearances, 10 Super Bowl appearances. But anyways, yeah, Charles Woodson, I remember they showed his reaction and he was like, you know, so livid still to this day talking about it. Um, but so, yeah, I have this on my list is what if the Raiders win the tuck rule game against New England? So obviously this is a fumble, right? It's one of the worst calls in playoff history. They implemented instant replay because of calls like this. I remember maybe a year or two before Vinny Testaverde's helmet was across the goal line in a playoff game for the Jets. And they ruled out a touchdown. And I remember on ESPN, they were like, there's not a touchdown. It's his helmet, not the football. And that's why instant replay was implemented. But early on, uh, there were little mistakes like this. And this one was pretty impactful. And these are the kinds of things that happen in, in football in the margins. Like, like the catch. Like, did the ball wiggle a little bit during the catch? Or did the wrist flick enough to indicate a throwing motion these are the kinds of things about football that drive me insane <laughs> and so, yeah. yeah and it's it's if you look at it now without the, i mean and they go on to change the tuck rule shortly after that so the nfl knew it was wrong but technically according to the rule books it was the right call i guess <laughs> i mean there's another game we're going to talk about with weird rules um but the momentum shifted after this play obviously there was more football to be played. And, you know, the Pats, uh, you know, had to do their part. They still had to get back on defense uh, and get the win. I know that the right call was made at the time, uh, but uh, excuse me, uh, if the right call was made, how it should have been with the rules we know now, uh, they, the Pats don't get that chance to secure the win. Yeah. They, the, the Raiders get the ball back. They, they kneel three times and the game's over and they yeah. go on to play Pittsburgh in, in the AFC championship game. And the, of course, the, the larger impact is Al Davis decides that enough is enough. You know, John Gruden has not, has failed to win the big game, so to speak, and has not delivered on a Super Bowl. Um, or so he decides to trade him to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for two first round picks and two second round picks, <laughs> which is crazy to think about. I mean, I don't know how many coaches in the NFL would, would uh, net that kind of return now maybe Belichick, Peyton, maybe one other, Andy Reid, maybe. Uh, but to add some insult to that, the, the Raiders, of course, lose the following year in the Super Bowl to Tampa Bay, to John Gruden. Uh, and none of those picks that they got from the Bucks, you know, become, you know, any uh, anything substantial. So they don't get anything worth a damn from Tampa Bay, and they basically hand them a Super Bowl uh, in exchange for, for a couple picks. So that's that's the big what if, and it it leads to essentially twenty years of, you know, mediocrity at best for the Raiders. Yeah, and there there's a uh, you know some missteps along the way in that that twenty years or so. I have a what if for this as well. Um, so my what if is if the re the referees still get the call wrong because you do need this rule implemented to to correct this kind of inefficiency in the rules. The outcry in the aftermath of the game with it running on ESPN all day constantly, they'll change the rule. Uh, but the Raiders win 
uh, in OT instead of New England. Uh, there's no field goal win from Vinatieri. Uh, they don't win the Super Bowl that year because the Rams were so overwhelming and the Pats just had, like you said, um, the defense to, to stifle that Rams offense. But the following year, they'll win it against anybody, including Tampa Bay. John Gruden stays. Uh, and the thing is, like, his overall coaching record isn't that impressive overall. But in that, like, four or five years, like, he was just lightning in a bottle. He could do no wrong. He was like kind of like Sean McVay now to an extent, like boy genius, known for scheme. If you stand next to Gruden, you probably get a job somewhere like some of these McVay or Belichick disciples these days. Uh, I know Gruden left coaching for a while, but this would have been a window of more success um, that didn't come to be as, as a result of this and the loss the following year. So it's, it's quite literally a coin flip moment <laughs> because yeah. Yeah. instead of, again, with our rules now, you know, if Brady gets the, gets the ball, kicks a field goal, the Raiders at least get a chance to respond. But back then the NFL overtime rules were sudden death, whether it was a touchdown or a field goal. So if the coin flips the other way, the Raiders get the ball, like you said, they score and they, they're the ones that move on. And I, I think, that's that's probably what would have happened. I mean, John Gruden, like you said, he is he did, did have that air of, of boy genius to him. It was kind of like the Harbaugh Niners era where he just, you know, had a well, at least Har- Harbaugh succeeded right away. Gruden had a couple of years to, to build, but it was just almost immediate success. And he was such a young coach. He was, you know, younger, this, around the same age as his quarterback. Uh, which is common now with with Matt Stafford and Kyle Shanahan and those guys. But it was it was pretty unheard of at the time. So Gruden does get his Super Bowl, but he gets it with the Raiders. And then, like you said, he kind of rides off into the sunset for a bit, uh, but not as uh, maybe a little more decorated and a little more uh, appreciated than after a, a rough stint in uh, in Tampa Bay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the Raiders brought him back because of that reputation and that nostalgia. And I think he, his game, his philosophy just doesn't translate to today, to the, to today's game. It just, they didn't look as good as they did back then. Yeah. So the, and this is definitely not the last time we'll be mentioning Gruden's name <laughs> on <laughs> yeah. today's podcast. Um, yeah. So I think that's, that's enough of the tuck rule. That was the first time I cried over sports. I was 12 years old. I think watching that game and I cried like a baby <laughs> after that game. Legitimate heartbreak. Yeah. 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 So close. <laughs> all right so I'll, I'll pass it over to you for for number two yeah so I, I had this one on my list I guess we can call this like my number this is my number one and for me it's uh Jamarcus Russell and what if the Raiders drafted literally almost anyone else in that draft instead of Jamarcus Russell um for just a little background he was the number one overall pick in the 2007 draft uh he was won the Manning Award in 2006 he had a pretty good college career um, guy had a cannon. Uh, so I know that the, the, there was a lot of promise in his potential because if you have a cannon, that that kind of becomes uh, a huge selling point for a quarterback. You look at, you know, Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, uh, guys that can throw the ball really far down the field, get a lot of credit. Um, so you look at Jamarcus Russell, and I know it, it didn't pan out. M- my question to you is, as a Raiders fan in, in hindsight, or maybe even at the time, based on what you know now, because Al Davis will mention just other Al Davis decisions, I'm sure, throughout this episode, is when they were 
looking at Jamarcus Russell before drafting him, was his work ethic a question before? Because afterwards, that was brought up in reports that mm, does he, uh, based on his play, does he really have it? Is he in for it? Did, did he, just, he said he didn't watch tape. Did they look into that before drafting him, or did they only draft this guy because they had a cannon and they thought they could just teach him? So the the thing is, uh, Jamarcus Russell was seen at the time as a, a slam dunk pick, right? He was the consensus number one quarterback. He was the consensus number one pick, you know, for, from all the experts, so to speak. You know, um, he won the the Manning Award uh, as the one of the best as the best quarterback in college football. He had, like you said, you know, a, a cannon. I think there was like the story about him taking a knee at the 50 yard line and throwing the ball through the uprights. So he was just like a, a physical marvel, right? He, he looked like, you know, Dante Culpepper, but supposedly better, right? And the only other top quarterback in that draft was Brady Quinn from Notre Dame, who also did not have a great career uh, with, the, with the Cleveland Browns. Um, so the, the issue like you said, ended up being his work ethic. And we saw that pretty clearly after uh, the fact. But the funny thing is, Matt Millen, who's a you know legendary uh, Raiders linebacker, was working for the team at the time. And he hated Jamarcus Russell. He had a horrible interview experience with him. And he wanted the Raiders to have nothing to do with this guy. Um, so he's telling Al Davis, don't draft this guy. But Al Davis sees this, you know, prototype NFL quarterback that, that he dreams of who can, you know, implement his, his vertical offense and can shake off defenders. So on paper, it looked like the right move, but obviously it did not work out and we can talk about why and, and who they could have gotten instead of him. So I'll pass it right back to you. Yeah. And, and from what I remember when in, in retrospect, they said he admitted to not watching any tape, um, you know, for co- the quarterback room is just such a crucial part of it. You just don't hear quarterbacks say that type of thing. And you look at the roster at the time, there wasn't like a whole lot of talent on the team. You didn't have any all pros. You look at some of the players that were in this draft, Calvin Johnson, Joe Thomas, Matt Stafford, uh, might, might have been the year after, excuse me. Yeah. Um, Mar- uh, Marshawn Lynch, uh, Patrick Willis. There were just so many good players in this draft. Um, you know, you if if you have a Matt Millen saying, "Look, this guy is not right for us," or maybe Al Davis and the consensus goes, "Look, I don't know the 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 commitment doesn't seem to be there." You pick a Calvin Johnson or a Joe Thomas or a running back, and then you got other years to get a surefire pick at quarterback. Uh, because after this, the Raiders didn't draft a startable quarterback until Derek Carr seven years later. Yeah. And that was the issue. So all those guys that you named, so it it was crazy in the top, I think 10 alone, there's a bunch of current and future hall of famers, right? Calvin Johnson, Joe Thomas, Adrian Peterson. I don't know if you mentioned him, Darrell Revis, Marshawn Lynch, Patrick Willis. So these are all, you know, pantheon type names. Um, And they ended up, you know, choosing this guy that was obviously not any of those things. So if they had not drafted Jamarcus Russell and they went with Calvin Johnson, who uh, head coach Lane Kiffin wanted at the time, and that helped, you know, move that, that uh, or ruin that relationship with him and Al Davis pretty quickly was if they draft, you know, Calvin Johnson or Adrian Peterson, you get a cornerstone offensive piece, 
you keep Josh McCown, who was on the team, um, you know, early, he's early on in his career. He's not quite the journeyman that he was, but he's decent enough. Um, and then you have an opportunity to draft the quarterback. Like you said, you know, the, the next year, the following you get Matt Ryan or Joe Flacco in 2008, um, or in 2009, you could have picked Matt Stafford, even a Mark Sanchez, or even Josh Freeman, who are, none of these are great options, but they're all better quarterbacks, and they may have looked much better with Calvin Johnson and Adrian Peterson on the team. So, you know, this, this pick not only, you know, set the team back that season, uh, because Russell held out before the, the season and he had a contract dispute, which is crazy to think about, considering we have the rookie wage scale now. But he holds out, and this sets the team back almost a decade after that. So it's definitely a big what-if moment in the team history. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, and I, I had a what-if for this, and it's, it's pretty kind of a no-brainer. Just the whole decade is different with Calvin Johnson and Matt Stafford just paired in Oakland. That's, that's my alternate scenario is they take Calvin Johnson – just an amazing wide receiver. They get Matt Stafford the following year uh, because they still don't have a good quarterback yet. Um, it, it wasn't a good team, but like you said, um, you add just some of these cornerstone pieces that aren't a quarterback, and these guys elevate quarterbacks. We see wide receivers elevate mediocre quarterbacks all the time. So I, I say they get this pairing right, and they make the playoffs and see way more success while they had all those high draft picks and missed throughout the years. So they had the losing record for, for a long time. I think that they get, they draft anyone, any other of, the, of these hall of famers. Um, this, that decade goes way differently than it did. Uh, absolutely. We could say that with hundred percent certainty there. Okay. That's all I had on this. Did you have anything else? No, that's it. Uh, so, okay. Uh, I'll, I'll take the ball back here. Um, so my uh, so we covered my number one. My number two is what if the Raiders drafted Aaron Rodgers? So oh, okay. <laughs> I think we can do this with a lot of teams, uh, but much like the the 49ers had that uh, hometown connection with with Aaron Rodgers, who grew up a Niners fan in Northern California. Um, Aaron Rodgers played football literally 15 minutes away from the Raiders facility uh, in Alameda. And he played, of course, in Berkeley. So they had an insider view. They could have seen this guy play and practice, you know, literally any day of the week. But uh, instead, they chose to draft cornerback Fabian Washington uh, from the University of Nebraska, who only played three years in Oakland. So supposedly what they say is that Al Davis, who was, you know, famously obsessed with measurables, height, speed, et cetera, thought that Aaron Rodgers was too small at six foot two. So uh, you know, on the team, they had six foot five, Kerry Collins, who was not very good. And they actually drafted a quarterback in this draft, uh, Andrew <laughs> Walter out of Arizona state, who was, uh, you know, six foot six. So did you know about them passing on, on Rogers because of his height or anything like that at the time? Because he went, Fabian Washington went literally the pick right before, uh, Rogers went to green Bay. <laughs> oh my god no i didn't know i mean I didn't, we talked about in our niners episode how uh the niners drafted a quarterback in the following round please go check that out uh what if 40 40 episode 2 49ers um but i didn't know how close it was for the raiders 
That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, so to add to this, you know, they, they had Kerry Collins who, you know, was made a Super Bowl appearance with the giants, but was just not very good um, in Oakland and Andrew Walter, you know, who was supposed to be the future did not end up, you know, panning out, but the, the same off season that they, they pass on Rogers, they traded for Randy Moss and they could have, you know, paired Randy Moss, the, one of the greatest receivers of all time with a young Aaron Rodgers, And if you think about that combination and, and how crazy that would have been for, for the Raiders, that the amount of success they could have had with that combo, even if, you know, Rogers starts a few years earlier than he would have in, in green Bay, this changes things because Randy Moss hated Oakland because of the losing. He didn't want to play with these, you know, awful quarterbacks. And he, you know, basically sour pushed his way out, um, of that team to go to new England. So, you know, we talked about Matt Stafford and Calvin Johnson, but they had Randy Moss on the team and could have very easily gotten Aaron Rodgers. So what does that do for the Raiders from, you know, say 2005 to 2021? <laughs> yeah. And this is so different than the Niners missing Aaron Rodgers. Um, because they they didn't like him because he was arrogant. So it's so interesting that Niners brass uh, and Raiders brass, both for different reasons, uh, incompetently didn't choose Aaron Rodgers. The Niners just thought that he wasn't uh, of the the uh, d- uh, worth the class of Walsh and Montana, uh, and the, and Al Davis just wanted Jamarcus Russell. It seems like he just wanted an an oaf who could throw the ball. He wanted uh, six foot six Andrew Walter, and he got him. <laughs> <laughs> so the, here's another funny wrinkle to this. I, when I was doing some research, is that the Raiders? There was a rumor. So this was in 2007. Um, Brett Favre was still playing well at Green Bay. Uh, you know the the succession plan from Ro, uh, Favre to Rogers wasn't working out. You know quite the way that the Packers had had pan, uh, you know painted it. So they actually could have traded Randy Moss to Green Bay in return for Aaron Rodgers. But that that deal did not materialize. It's unclear who said no. Maybe the Packers thought, you know, let's let's punt on this, you know, let's get rid of the, let's move on from the Favre era and move into the Rodgers era. It's not worth giving up this potential franchise QB that's going to set us up for success for the next, you know, 15 years. And instead, the Raiders trade him, you know, to New England for pocket change. And he goes on to, to join, you know, the nearly best team in NFL history. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, it's so it's so it's so such a funny coincidence that the, the neighbors in the Bay Area both um, missed on Aaron Rodgers. I know that there's a there's a few, but the, these two in particular, because of the reasons that the ownership came up with um, are egregious mistakes. <laughs> Yeah, and it wasn't like they had a quarterback in place that was any good. You know, you're not passing on Aaron Rodgers to to play Kerry Collins. So the clear what if is, you know, if they draft Aaron Rodgers, then, you know, the, the next 20 years work out very differently for, for the Raiders. Okay, yep. so I'll pass it back to you for your number two. Yeah, so my number two is uh, the Immaculate Reception. And it's kind of hard to pick a particular what if uh, because of how many different way, different things happened on this play. 
it's considered to be one of the, the greatest plays in NFL history. So to quickly summarize it, it this is the 1972 uh, AFC Championship game. Is that right? Or the divisional game before the championship. Yeah, divisional game. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, they had the Dolphins, I think, uh, if they were to win. Um, so it's the AFC divisional game. Raiders and and Steelers. John Madden on the sideline, uh, watching very uh, intensely. And it's the last play of the game. Terry Bradshaw is sc- scrambling, scrambling, uh, throws the ball down the field. Jack Tatum cracks some Pittsburgh receiver. And off camera, you see the ball disappear. And then next thing you know, there's a Steelers player running on camera, appears on back onto your screen and runs it back for a pick six. Uh, Steelers win the game. The crowd goes crazy. Now, there's a few things about this play that make it uh, peculiar, uh, depending on where your interests are. If you're a Steelers fan, nothing we're about to say matters. <laughs> but if you're a Raiders fan, well, actually, there are several things that matter. <laughs> so the uh, first thing is you never see the ball, what happens to the ball once Jack Tatum hits the receiver on, on, while he tries to go for the ball. You, we just know that Franco Harris runs on onto your screen and he's got the football. But you, you never see that. Even in alternate angles that have been released through the years it's still not a hundred percent clear it still isn't it's not a hundred percent you still can't see where that he catches it in stride so it obviously lands really close to him and it doesn't seem like he skips a beat so it's it is obviously really close but we don't know that's a a peculiar part we needed some 1080p 4k hd right (laughs) right yeah they were (laughs) 20 frames per second. Um, the, the other thing is, and this goes back to the tuck rule of, of just strange archaic rules is there was a rule where if you touch the ball, so say I throw it to you on a play and you touched it and it bounces off your fingers. If another teammate of ours touches the ball, it's an incomplete pass. Um, right. So uh, the, that's what it looks like on the play. This part is pretty debatable too. It looks like, uh, Jack Tatum may also have cracked him and it also could have gone off of Jack Tatum's shoulder upon impact. So this so, is also debated. Yeah. It's just like the, the Kennedy assassination. People have done like <laughs> the Zapruder film of trying to break down like Grady 1970s era, you know, film where they talk about, did it hit Tatum's shoulder? Did it hit uh, John Fuqua, who is the, the, the Pittsburgh receiver uh, yeah, they've broken that down. So that part, it's still inconclusive. And the Pittsburgh receiver, Fuqua, you know, suppose that he said on record, like, I know what happened, but I'm taking it to the grave. I'm not telling anybody. So <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I don't know if he's doing that to, like, you know, stay relevant and sell, uh, you know, autographs at, at Steelers tailgates or what. But it's it's funny that he has that that supposedly has that secret buried deep somewhere. Yeah, I saw that on the NFL Films uh, piece on this. A couple other things that happened on that play. Uh, The referees didn't actually initially have a call. They didn't call a touchdown. They delegated for 10, 15 minutes. Uh, John Madden's recollection of it is someone picks up the phone. They talk to someone in the press box. They hang up the phone and they say touchdown. Uh, There was rumors of 
them hearing possibly that do we have enough security? They were considering the possibility of uh, a riot if they didn't call it a touchdown. So there's also the belief that they were just too scared to not to call it uh, an incomplete pass and be murdered by a Pittsburgh audience <laughs> that may have actually done so. So if this is in Oakland, it's it's definitely rule incomplete. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I agree with that. Yeah, it's hard. I I don't have a uh, any um, allegiances either way, but I I agree with that uh, for sure. So I mean, I I have a what if scenario here, but what is your you know what what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, so it's hard to tell what happened. Obviously, it seems like it was just such a ridiculous situation where everyone is saying something else, and we don't really have the truth. Where the you know the Raiders are saying that uh, they went into the press box and called either the NFL office or the security or the police to to confirm the call. Some are saying that they looked at the TV replay, even though replay was not part of you know NFL refereeing at that time. So it's it's truly one of the most bizarre plays in NFL history, and it's it's one of those where there's no real answer to it, and it is very much a what if you know, 50, 50 moment based on that call. Yeah. Um, and what I wanted to, to get your thoughts on is because the, there were so many things that happened on that play, where do you rank all of these? The Franco Harris interception, was it a, uh, was it an interception? Was it a pass or incomplete pass? I also forgot to mention the clip theory where uh, one of the uh, Raiders defenders t- takes a, uh, is trying to tackle Franco Harris and one of his teammates uh, clips said Raiders uh, defender uh, or the referees scared of the crowd. Yeah. So that, that's another layer to it is, is Raiders linebacker Phil uh, Villapiano says that he was clipped after um, Harris made the catch, which, you know, even if that's ruled complete, that, that call should have, uh, you know, wiped off the touchdown. Um, That one is a little more, uh, it's a little less consequential uh, yeah. because I mean, you know, that those are the clipping calls. Those are a little more, you know, up to interpretation, right? Like, did he get hit in the side, in the shoulder pad? Did he get hit behind the shoulder, et cetera. So that's a little, little shakier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with that. Referees swallow their whistles on, on calls like that at the end of games, I would imagine too. Yeah, and there's no guarantee that he catches Harris anyway or whatever. So, yeah, like you said, the, the refs swallow the whistle and we they let the, the play play out. Yeah, and, and looking at all of these kind of uh, constraints or whatever the case, is, whatever you want to call these, uh, uh, that made this so, so such a crazy play. For me, I think it's the referees being scared of the crowd that ranks as the most likely thing that happened because – a touchdown wasn't called uh, because it's the only thing we can point to without trying to figure without any camera evidence to help us interpret anything else that happened is the referees being unclear on what happened. Um, and I think given that I feel like here's, here's my, what if, all right, here's my, what if for this is because the referees didn't know my, what if is they just don't call a goddamn touchdown because they never called one to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> I know if you're a Steelers fan, this is complete sacrilege to even say, 
But for the sake of conversation, this is a Raiders history episode. We're going to pick a, a scenario favorable to the Raiders, okay? <laughs> so uh, they don't call it touchdown. Uh, the Raiders win. They go on to play the Dolphins. And I'm going to add a Super Bowl here for the Raiders, man. Shula got his the year before. The Dolphins had their legendary season. They're immortal forever, that, that 72 Dolphins team. And Madden gets his first Super Bowl real early. I thought he was just really brilliant as a coach. And he gets that narrative out of the way first, that monkey off his back that he couldn't win. I know that that was the narrative for Pittsburgh at the time. I'm sure we'll have more to say on that when we when we dive into Pittsburgh uh, eventually. But for Madden, he gets his early. Uh, and perhaps the Pitt- Pittsburgh figures it out later. I don't know. We'll, we'll get into that one of these days. But Madden gets his, gets the, the, the other one in 83. Um, but that, that's my, what if that the, the, what should have happened or possibly could have happened is they call a touchdown Raiders go on to win it all. What are your thoughts? Uh, I agree 100%. <laughs> so, uh, this was the year that, um, uh, the, the dolphins actually ended up going 17 and oh, this is the one where they, you know, pop champagne every year. Once, uh, you know, the last undefeated team in the NFL falls, but the Raiders, so if they had beaten the Steelers, this is a double whammy here. So if they had beaten the Steelers, they would have played the Dolphins in the AFC Championship game. And John Madden in that era of the Raiders completely owned the Dolphins. So they went into that, they would have gone into that game uh, with an all-time record, including the playoffs, of 6-1-1 one, and one against the Dolphins. So wow. it's a pretty safe bet that they would have beaten the Dolphins. They would have gone on to beat um, Washington. And like you said, you know, Madden would have won his first Super Bowl four years ahead of schedule. So they ended up winning his first in at first and only one um, in 1976. So this would have elevated Madden from not only being the greatest coach in uh, Raiders history, but it would have put him in the conversation, at least early on, into the one of the greatest coaches in NFL history, period. And this also changes, of course, you know, the uh, huge moment in Dolphins history and a huge moment in NFL history because there's no undefeated season. There's no legendary 1972 uh, Dolphins team with Mercury Morris and those guys. And this was also a huge moment in Steelers history because before this game, the Steelers were a pretty bad franchise. That was their first playoff win. And it kicked off this era of dominance in the 1970s with the, uh, the steel curtain and that famous uh, defense. So one play changed the fate of, of three teams. And of course, in this Raiders pod, we're talking about the Raiders and they, they would have gotten their Super Bowl a few years early and it would have been four instead of three uh, for the, for the team. Yep. And the Steelers ended up winning four championships, I believe in that decade, if I'm not mistaken. So for the Immaculate Reception, I had that as my number three. And I think we've, we've covered that um, pretty closely. Uh, Number, my number four, was the Jamarcus Russell uh, debacle, which which you already covered with your your number one. Uh, so my next one is is my number five, and that is a, a more recent play. And this is you know back in 2016. The question is you know what if Derek Carr doesn't break his ankle against the Indianapolis Colts? So uh, the Raiders were enjoying an incredible season, um, their best in a long time. You know by far they were. Uh, 12 and three and, and playing the, the, the Colts late in the season. 
And on a pretty innocuous play with the Raiders, you know, having the game well in hand, uh, Derek Carr takes a sack and he gets twisted by the defensive lineman and breaks his ankle. So obviously that, that ends his season. The Raiders would go on to lose the following, or they would win the game against Indianapolis because they had quite a sizable lead. And they would go on to lose to the Denver Broncos in week 17 to lose the division and, and become the AFC wild card. Um, and they had already beaten Denver early that year. Denver was not a very good team in 2016. So the Raiders would have won the division if their car was healthy. And they would have gone on to play uh, most likely Pittsburgh at home um, after a bye week. So before I go into the, the domino effect of that injury, you know, any thoughts on, on the injury and that season and, and anything else? Yeah, man. Uh, I think this was, it was, a, it was a missed opportunity to that unfortunate injury because the Broncos, this is post Peyton Manning. They weren't really good at all. Um, and I think I agree with you that they would have won that game in the division. And it's, it's such a bummer to go 12 and four uh, and not win the division. Um, I was pretty bummed for the Raiders uh, on this one because Derek Carr had such an incredible season, 28 touchdowns, six interceptions. He threw for almost 4,000 yards. Uh, so, yeah, I think this was the best Raiders season in a long time. So I'll, I'll let you kind of continue, but that, that was kind of uh, look in retrospect in addition to some other thoughts, how I felt about it. Yeah. So, so what actually, what ends up happening, of course, is that they, they, they're the wild card, uh, 12 and four wild card, Kansas city is 13 and three. Um, and Kansas city, uh, ends up hosting the, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers in a division game. The Raiders travel to play the Houston Texans with, uh, their third string quarterback, Connor cook, uh, leading the way that game does not go well, of course, and they lose 27, 14. So, the, the what if scenario is, you know, so after that, I should say, uh, you know, Derek Carr comes back the following year. Uh, they fire offense coordinator Bill Musgrave, hire Todd Downing. They sign Marshawn Lynch. There's a bunch of hype around the team about them, you know, coming back and, and, and winning a Super Bowl or at least competing for one. Uh, of course, none of that happens. They end up going uh, six and 10. And this opens the door uh, for the return of John Gruden and everything that has come since. So the what if moment is if Carr is healthy, they win the division, they go on to perhaps beat the Steelers, uh, you know, at home, the first home uh, playoff game in Oakland in, in 15 years or so. They more than likely lose to the New England Patriots in the AFC title game, but that sets them up for success. The following year, they come back, have a good season, and even though Mark Davis was infatuated with John Gruden and seemed dead set on bringing him in, uh, he is probably not able to do so if, if Jack Del Rio and the, and the Raiders have playoff success, you know, over those two years. So we don't get the Cleo Mack trade. We don't get the Amari Cooper trade. This whole team looks completely different. And of course, Derek Carr is looked at completely differently because he probably wins a playoff game or two. Um, you know, over the past few years, instead of, you know, not even playing in one until, you know, this upcoming Sunday against the Cincinnati Bengals. So it's a definite, you know, sliding doors type butterfly effect moment. Yeah, it is important to know we are recording this uh, January 12th, 2022. So um, uh, one, one thing to note on this, 
Um, I remember this playoff game against the Texans, and I was just watching it in disgust because it was Connor Cook against Brock Osweiler. Um, the Raiders just couldn't score to put pressure on a really unimpressive Houston team. Connor Cook threw three interceptions, so it, it was just a really crappy way to spiral out on this unfortunate uh, injury. And this was their first winning season since the Super Bowl appearance against Tampa Bay. Uh, and it was their first playoff appearance as well. So they couldn't even squeak into a wild card for any other year <laughs> uh, until this point. It's 13 years. Yeah. And they had a, a couple eight and eight years and a seven and nine squeezed in there, but it was mostly <laughs> pretty ugly before that. And, and my, my what if was the same as yours. They'd have to play the Patriots. It was that Patriots team, I think, that came back down 28 3. Um, so I, I, I agree with that. I, and I th- just think the Raiders deserve better than this. Derek Carr deserved uh, better than this. So I think the what if is simple. They get their first postseason appearance and playoff win in 13 years. And, and they they have a more competitive uh, playoff run instead of uh, the John Gruden era. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if if I take off my Homer glasses, you know, they probably they're definitely not beating New England in New England you know, that, that freight train of a team, like you said, that came back from 28-3. But at the same time, they had a very good offense. They had a lot of playmakers on that offense. They had playmakers on that defense. They had Khalil Mack at his absolute peak. Uh, they had Bruce Irvin, who was still very good. Reggie Nelson, a lot of guys that maybe could have made a difference, you know, against a very good Patriots team. Um, so you want you don't want to say, you know, with 100% certainty that they don't make the Super Bowl, but it's they probably don't. Uh, I have a, a, a funny slash kind of sad memory associated with that playoff game. Um, so I had had surgery uh, of two days before that game to remove my, my thyroid after I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And I came home from the hospital all doped up on pain medication, <laughs> you know, morphine and, and the like. And I had to sit through four quarters of Connor Cook losing to, of all people, Brock Osweiler in the first playoff game I'd seen in my adult, my adult life. So <laughs> he must've been crying. <laughs> it was, it was, I think I was, I was too high on pain meds to really know what was going on, but uh, I have not gone to watch any highlights or anything of that game. I remember Jadevian Clowney absolutely destroying Connor cook a few times and just laying waste uh, to that team. And it was just such a, you know, tragic end to what was, at that time, you know, the most fun I'd had as, as a Raiders fan, you know, watching that team and the way they continued to fight back. I think Carr had six or seven game-winning drives and fourth-quarter comebacks that year alone. It was just uh, an incredible season that ended in the most, you know, uh, just the, the saddest way possible with just, you know, you knew that you knew it was coming as soon as his ankle broke. You, you saw the, the, the train wreck coming, and that's exactly what happened. So, <laughs> all right. So I'll, I'll pass it back to you. I know you had a fun one that I did not have on my list, uh, another draft related one. So I'll let you take it from here. Yeah. So this one, I went down quite the rabbit hole of trying to understand it because it happened and we were both little children at the time. <laughs> so, uh, and this goes back to Al Davis just taking, I, I thought to be, um, a really unnecessary gamble. So my what if, and it's my last one, I believe, is what if the Raiders drafted 
Brett Favre over Todd Marinovich. Uh, so Todd Marinovich was a quarterback. He was drafted 24th overall uh, in the 1991 draft. Brett Favre is still on the board. He went about uh, uh, six, five, six, seven picks later. Uh, Marinovich had a good college career. He was in the conversation for the Heisman in the 1990 season, but he had off-the-field concerns. I actually found a column, a blog that you wrote about the five worst draft picks in Raiders history <laughs> and used some of your He's up there. <laughs> notes. Yeah, he was number two behind uh, our friend Jamarcus Russell, who we already talked about. Uh, and you mentioned that he had off-the-field concerns. His dad kind of groomed him from birth to be quarterback and he was nicknamed Ro- robo qb um and this kind of put a lot of pressure on him he had these off the field concerns he fought with his coach they didn't get along and he was actually b- b- before the draft arrested for cocaine possession before he declared uh for the nfl draft so because of this college arrest for cocaine possession the nfl made him submit to frequent drug tests he would pass them using his friend's urine uh, but after he used his own teammate's urine, who was drinking pretty heavily, the test registered a blood alcohol content four times the legal limit, and the Raiders uh, had to force him into rehab. But all those sus- suspensions piled up, and the Raiders had to release him ahead of uh, the 93 season, and he wouldn't play another down in football again. Thoughts so far? Yeah, so this... You know, the, the Marinovich situation is, I think, more of a, a tragedy than anything else. So you mentioned his dad, you know, grooming him to become an NFL quarterback um, and all of the, the the issues that he had with with drugs. And, you know, most of those were related to the immense amount of pressure that I think his, his dad put on him growing up and all of the expectations uh, that came along with it. So uh, he, you know, became addicted to, to the different substances and that really spelled the end of, of his NFL career. And I know we talked about Jamarcus Russell um, and his work ethic issues, but he also reportedly had um, some mental health issues or he was dealing with depression um, after the loss of some family members. And instead of turning to cocaine, he turned to, uh, to codeine and the, the purple, you know, purple drink. Uh, and he the had those Sprite. issues, the purple Sprite. Exactly. Um, so there's that common thread with a lot of the Raiders picks um, that that didn't pan out was these guys just, you know, either drinking or, or using drugs and, and fighting their way out of the league pretty quickly uh, for those reasons. So it's a real tragedy what happened to, to Marinovich. And, and I understand why Jamarcus Russell is the worst draft pick in Raiders history. Uh, but before Jamarcus Russell, here Al Davis goes with the local guy. He's born in, in San Leandro in the Bay Area, Todd Marinovich. Uh, but he already had a serious issue that was documented. And, and played at USC. And this was, you know, when they were uh, still the LA Raiders. So they shared a, st- uh, you know, they shared a stadium. Yep, yep. So just to, to look at Brett Favre quickly, and w- w- we know what they passed on, but Brett Favre threw 52 touchdowns at South Mississippi. He was drafted by the Falcons, traded to Green Bay. Green Bay was a 4-12 and team. They had Dan Majowski at quarterback. They went nine and seven the year they got Brett Favre. The Falcons went ten and six. They already had a first team All Pro quarterback in Chris Miller, and they lost to the Washington. Was called a different team at the time. The Washington Football Team won the, won the Super Bowl that year. <laughs> the team that shall not be named. Yeah, the racial slurs. The Washington the racial Washington slurs. racial slurs. There you go. So, so Atlanta didn't really feel like they needed Favre. Uh, 
Uh, they were kind of concerned about a hip issue that they wanted no part of. It was the same hip issue that I believe that that plagued uh, uh, Bo Jackson. So, uh, or might have been Marcus Allen. One of those guys had a really bad hip issue, unfortunately. Oh, that was Bo Jackson, yeah. So, my what if is the Raiders don't draft Todd Marinovich. They draft Brett Favre instead. They instead of taking a gamble on this poor, un, you know, unfortunate, troubled first round quarterback, that they and, and they rehab Brett Favre instead. Uh, and they have their quarterback in the nineties, the Raiders made the playoffs one time they lost to Kansas city in the early nineties. Uh, and it's a game where Todd Rinovich threw four interceptions. So instead of going through this kind of quarterback carousel of uh, Jeff George and Hostetler uh, before getting to rich Gannon, they have a window in the nineties where it's just mainly Buffalo and Elway who doesn't get his window to later. So they keep building around Favre, and they win in 97, the same year that Favre won his first Super Bowl. And because they have Favre, they actually win the Super Bowl against Tampa or whoever is the incarnation of Tampa in 2003. So- that's, that's quite the rabbit hole. <laughs> and I think the, the funny thing is, of course, that that's two quarterbacks that um, went to Green Bay, and they should have been in, you know, in Oakland. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, and, and the thing is, if you think about Brett Favre and the type of quarterback he was and the type of quarterback that um, Al Davis looked for, he was also would have been, you know, seen as small, um, according to Al Davis, but he was he had that cannon, he could throw it down the field, he was hyper aggressive. And, you know, because of his sort of swashbuckling swagger, um, <laughs> he would have been a perfect Raider. Uh, and it would have fit that that team ethos. So uh, that is quite the what if for sure. Yeah, I had fun doing that one. <laughs> yeah, and the, I mean the Falcons didn't do so bad. You know, the the rest of the '90s, they they you know made a Super Bowl uh, with with Chris Chandler, but obviously, I'm sure they're kicking themselves for not uh, sticking with with Favre uh, after they they had him in house and they had him. You know, they drafted him. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's such an interesting one. The the so many. Looking back at all of these, there's a pattern with Al Davis making very risky choices. Do, do you blame him for that? Is like, how do Raiders fans feel about Al Davis? Uh, you know, now that we have that revisionist history in, in hindsight. Yeah, so it's it, it's kind of a a double edged sword with Al Davis, right? He's that uh, maverick. You know, he's going to take risks. And there is no Oakland Raiders, Los Angeles Raiders, Las Vegas Raiders, whatever you want to call it, without Al Davis. They don't win those three Super Bowls um, if he doesn't make the the decisions that that he makes. You know, taking a risk by hiring uh, a young coach in John Madden. You know, doing it again with John Gruden, hiring the first uh, Latino head coach in uh, Tom Flores, who wins two Super Bowls. Um, so there's a pattern of him kind of taking the scraps or players off the scrap heap from the NFL, making some risky picks. But of course, if you gamble, you're going to lose probably just as often as you win, if not more. So there's a lot of times where, you know, him sticking to his guns and his, you know, principles on who to draft and what type of players to draft ends up costing him. Right. So his obsession with measurables makes him pass up on Aaron Rodgers. Um, and, you know, uh, ignore the red flags when it came to Jamarcus Russell, because he so desperately wanted that statuesque quarterback that that's going to do it. So, 
you know, I think maybe the younger Raider fans don't appreciate Al Davis for what he did and how he made this team, you know, what it is uh, and gave it the prestige that, you know, it, it has, but the older ones, of course, understand the impact that he's had on the team. And, you know, just like I said, when you gamble, you're going to win and lose. And, you know, he did a lot of both. And to his credit, the Raiders, th- thanks to some of those gambles he made, had the highest winning percentage in football history, and they, they still might. So I think that a lot of this downturn has been on the second half of uh, a lot of misses that he made. So that they definitely don't anymore <laughs> after, you know, 20 years. Yeah. 20 years of, of sub 500 play. Uh, but, but, you know, coming into the, the, you know, year 2000, they did have the highest winning percentage, you know, in the NFL. Uh, they've had three Super Bowls, countless, you know, conference championship appearances. Um, so the guy knew what he was doing. You know, he obviously had a lot of misses and most of the misses came you know, in the back end of his, his career, his tenure after that Super Bowl, he was just, I think, so desperate to, to get back to, to relevance uh, that he took a lot of gambles and was very impatient with, uh, you know, his coaches. So, you know, if you lasted more than a year, you were lucky. Uh, So it was just an era of chaos and he allowed the NFL to pass him by, you know, with, with the technology uh, he famously, you know, fired Lane Kiffin with a, an overhead projector. So it gives you an idea of the type of technology that was in use at the Raiders facility. And um, it was a sad decline for one of the great franchises in NFL history, just because, you know, he had let the, everything pass him by and he just wasn't able to keep up with the times. So yeah. I know that was a long answer to a short question but I have some very strong feelings about Al Davis and, and his uh, impact on not just, you know, the Raiders history, but NFL history as a whole. No, it's a, it's a good answer. And it might be important for any of the younger listeners to, to understand that because um, yeah, for the most part, if you're, you know, 20 years old, 25 years old, you just know the Raiders for, for losing for the most part. So it's, it's good to know um, they have a rich history. Absolutely. Cool. You have some honorable mentions, right? I have one honorable mention. So I know there, there was quite a bit of overlap between the two of us. So we didn't go back and forth quite as much, but uh, the honorable mention is more so is about Bo Jackson. So it's not a specific uh, game or moment or anything like that. Um, it's just the, the tragedy that was Bo Jackson's very short NFL career and just how unique of a story um, he was, you know, and how unique of a player and athlete he was. So Bo Jackson isn't just one of the great what if histories or stories in the history of the Raiders, but one of the great what if stories in the history of sports. So you put Bo Jackson up there with Deion Sanders, Michael Jordan, Jim Thorpe as, you know, the greatest athletes in American history. And he probably could have played any sport that he wanted. If he wanted to play in the NBA, he probably could have done that too. Um, but Bo Jackson was uh, selected with the first overall pick after an incredible uh, career with the Auburn Tigers by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, he refused to play for them because of some shenanigans they did with um, him visiting team facilities that got him in trouble with the NCAA. So he basically gave a middle finger to Tampa Bay said, I'm not playing for you guys. So he goes on to, to play baseball with the Kansas City Royals organization. And Al Davis, who 
who we talked about being a risk taker and a maverick takes a chance on drafting Bo Jackson with the 183rd pick. And the incredible thing is he tells him, Hey man, you can play baseball all you want, but as soon as baseball season's over, come play with us. So Bo basically, you know, after, you know, six, seven months of playing baseball would join the Raiders in October because the Royals weren't very good. So he wasn't going to the playoffs, uh, but he was just incredible with the Raiders and his best season was in 1989. He had a thousand yards in 10 games and he basically wow. took over the starting running back job from Marcus Allen, who oh, yeah. a hall, he's a hall of famer. He's yeah. one of the greatest running backs of all time. So in the 1990 playoffs uh, against Cincinnati Bengals, Bo Jackson breaks off one of his trademark long runs, gets tackled by uh, a Bengals player. And because of how strong he was, he basically ripped his hip out of his socket or out of the socket. Whoa. Whoa. So it was basically the Tua injury, but of course, you know, 30 years before, uh, you know, or 30 years ago. So the technology wasn't there to be able to, to fix the injury. Um, so basically that ends his NFL and, uh, essentially his MLB career as well. He tries to come back, but it, you know, doesn't play very well after that. So I know this is an honorable mention and I've talked about it quite a bit, but you know, the, the question is what if Bo Jackson never gets hurt Do the Raiders uh, become, you know, contenders in the nineties, do they uh, does Marcus Allen leave even earlier because of his relationship with Al Davis is that degrade even faster. And I mean, how sustainable would it have been for Bo Jackson to play both baseball and the NFL uh, for the rest of his career? But it's just a not so much a, a Raiders what if, but just a sports history what if, which is is really fun to think about. Uh, you know, with with what Bo could have done in all these uh, all these sports. Yeah, the, the Raiders had a chance of having Brett Favre and Bo Jackson. I mean, let's do some Raiders fan fiction, baby. <laughs> What could have been, man? What could have been? <laughs> yeah, inc- an incredible athlete. Yeah, he was he was amazing. And I know there's a generation of football fans, Raiders fans, that are fans of the Raiders just because of Bo Jackson. I have a friend that grew up in, in North Carolina, and he's a Raiders fan just because of Bo Jackson. So, you know, the appeal was was incredible. And he's just a, a legendary athlete and, and uh, NFL player, so. So I actually have one additional honorable mention. And if I'm being honest, this probably should have been one of the top five. Um, But essentially, the what if is what if Jason Campbell doesn't get hurt and break his collarbone during the 2011 season? So uh, Jason Campbell was the Raiders starting quarterback in 2011 after being traded there uh, from Washington in 2010. So in 2010, they they go eight and eight with a combination of uh, Jason Campbell and Bruce Gradkowski. And in 2011, they start off four and two. And there's a lot of hope and optimism around the team of them, you know, breaking their postseason drought. Uh, unfortunately, in week six, Campbell breaks his collarbone on a pretty routine looking play against the Browns and his season and basically his career with the Raiders is over. Um, what's important is that this game uh, is the second Raiders game after the death of Al Davis is about 10 days after. And here's why that's really important. So during the season uh, or before the season, I should say Carson Palmer had retired from the Bengals because he was tired for of playing for that organization. And he basically told them, I'm never going to step foot in that stadium again. So after Al Davis's death, Hugh Jackson, the head coach becomes the de facto GM in Oakland. 
and he takes advantage of this power vacuum to swing one of the worst and most one-sided trades in NFL history. So Hugh gives up the first round pick in 2012 and a conditional second round pick in 2013 for Carson Palmer, a player that the Bengals had no intention of forcing back from retirement or bringing back because they had just drafted uh, Andy Dalton and were doing you know pretty well considering. So at the time of the trade, I honestly didn't mind it too much because of how desperate I was to see the Raiders in the playoffs. But in hindsight, it, it was awful. It was one of the worst trades ever. The Raiders gave up a tremendous amount of draft capital for an asset or player that the Bengals didn't value and were willing to move on from. So maybe if this was a fifth or sixth or seventh round pick, it would have been uh, more reasonable. But to give up a first and a second is just absurd. And the only reason that the Bengals budged was because uh, Jackson had a personal connection to Palmer, having coached him both at at USC and, and Cincinnati. And the Bengals probably even said yes before Jackson finished his sentence because of how ridiculous the offer was. They probably heard first round pick and said, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Uh, And Jackson said, no, let me throw in a second as well. So basically, this trade is a colossal failure uh, because the the Raiders uh, don't end up making playoffs that year. They lose in week 17 uh, to the Chargers. Uh, Palmer ends up going eight and 16 with the Raiders and basically sulks his way out of town. Uh, and gets traded to Arizona for some chump change, a six and a seven. He has some good years with Arizona, makes the playoffs, makes a Pro Bowl, and then retires. The Raiders uh, continue to suck under Palmer, take some gambles um, at QB with Matt Flynn and Terrell Pryor uh, before eventually drafting Derek Carr in 2014. So this is a trifecta of what-ifs. So if Campbell doesn't hurt, doesn't get hurt, they probably make the playoffs and, of course, don't trade for Carson Palmer and maybe Campbell sticks around for a few years. But there's also, if Campbell gets hurt, but Hugh Jackson isn't the GM because Al Davis is still alive, or they uh, appoint somebody in the meantime, they probably roll with Kyle Bowler, who was the backup at the time, tank a little bit, and draft one of these QBs in 2012. So this is a really good class in hindsight. Um, Andrew Luck and Robert Griffin went in the first round. Uh, There's also Nick Foles, Russell Wilson, and Kirk Cousins. So basically the Raiders could have started a true rebuild after losing Jason Campbell and losing Al Davis uh, were it not for Hugh Jackson taking advantage of Al Davis's death uh, and making that, that terrible trade. And that of course means that we likely don't see Derek Carr in a Raiders Jersey. Maybe the job is more desirable with a a better quarterback like uh, Nick Foles or Russell Wilson, who were, you know, better than Carson Palmer was as a Raider. And, maybe we get a better head coach than Dennis Allen and we avoid quite a few years of losing. And of course, everything is, is much different from there. So I know I said that was an honorable mention, but I went on for quite a bit of time here. Uh, but I do think that this was a, a very important moment in Raiders history, especially in recent Raiders history. All right. So that's it for, for our list. Let, let's do a quick recap. So uh, why don't you give us your five and I'll come back with mine. Yeah, so my number one was uh, Jamarcus Russell. What if the Raiders drafted anyone except him, really, in that in that, at the number one pick? Uh, my number two is what if the referees don't call a goddamn touchdown during the Immaculate Reception? My number three is what if the Raiders win the tuck rule game against uh, the Patriots? At four, I have what if the Raiders drafted Brett Favre over Todd Marinovich? And five is Derek Carr's broken ankle in the 2016 season. Okay. And my five were uh, number one, 
what if uh, the Raiders win the Super Bowl in 2000 um, or beat the Patriots in the famous tuck rule game? Number two is what if the Raiders drafted Aaron Rodgers over Fabian Washington? Number three, what if the referees called the Immaculate Reception an incomplete pass? Number four, what if the Raiders drafted literally anyone else other than Jamarcus Russell in that draft? And number five, what if Derek Carr does not break his ankle during the 2016 season? Awesome. That was really fun. I learned quite a bit about the Raiders. I uh, appreciate you uh, putting together your list and helping me a little bit with mine uh, since uh, not a Raiders fan, but grew up with a lot of Raiders fans uh, here in the Bay Area. Uh, thank you all for listening. We're going to do the, a lot more of these. They're going to come out weekly on uh, teams throughout sports. We've done the Warriors. Uh, what if kind of turning points and moments we've done uh, the 49ers and we have the Raiders and we'll, you'll definitely see, uh, you know, in the pipeline, we got the Lakers, the Patriots, uh, uh, a couple other teams we're exploring. So the Cowboys. So uh, stay tuned. Uh, we appreciate it. Please subscribe. Please check out uh, the SLS podcast, the Sideline Sports, uh, Standing on the Sideline podcast. We do that twice a week as well, recapping football and, uh, and, and other sports, boxing, NBA, etc. So uh, check it all out. We appreciate it. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, all. Something like my hammer strap, I'm smoking purpose. Something yak. Inhale out, I'm prime team miss, causing asthma attacks. Hitting niggas, taking early phase. Got back to the scene. Shoot them with cannon. So how you gonna act? Operating, operating, this And I cut it up for doing my business. Doing my business. Owen, drinking, throwing up the hood. Solo, but on the low, my butt, my butt. Doing hella at one time. My definition of happy man is this. I'm in the building and I'm feeling like me. RIP to the Mac, the RP. So don't, don't stop. Keep it going, keep it going. Some privilege in the back, blowing, blowing. Hold it down for the Bay, rapping Oakland. If it wasn't for that granddaddy smoking, that's just what I mean. For sure, that's what I mean. For sure.